Thank you all for coming. Uh, a couple words on the fourth verse of Shaitanya Mahaprabhu's Shiksastika. So the first line, Nadanam, Najanam, Nasundarim, Na, not, Danam, riches, Na, Janam, followers, no followers, not followers, Na, Sundarim, a beautiful, a very beautiful woman, woman, Kavitam, of activities described in flowery language, Va, or Jagad Isha, O Lord of the Universe, Kamane, I desire. Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kabitramba Jagadisha Kamae Mama Janmani Janmani Sware Babatad Bhaktirahaita Kitwai. So this first fourth verse coming after Lord Chaitanya's expression of complete humility speaks to the next level of spiritual advancement. Ruchi. The stage of Ruchi comes after steadiness. We become a little steady in our devotional practice. At that point, the senses are not so much of a burden. And we begin to enjoy life, not so much on the material platform, but we begin to enjoy life as because we see our spiritual prospect. We see what, 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 is, our, what is our prospect in, in spiritual life. And that comes after a little steadiness. We become steady. We chant on a regular basis. We associate with Krishna through Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam on a regular basis. We take advantage of the association of devotees. We take Krishna prasadam. We've, we've, we turn our, turn our consciousness gradually to a, a Krishna-centered consciousness, Krishna consciousness. As we do that, uh, we become humble. We realize that, wow, we're really wrapped up in, in our karmic activity. It's really, it's binding on us. And we see that unless there's some divine intervention, I don't see how I can get free. We're like, a, a, uh, we're like in a cocoon. And we've wrapped ourselves in the cocoon like a silkworm. A silkworm builds builds its own little enclosure with its, uh, of its own volition. And we've done the same thing in material life since we can't even trace out the beginning of it. We don't know. All we know is here in this life I can say, I can see from my circumstance, I come in carrying some heavy baggage. Especially anybody born in Kali Yuga in this age of mankind, it's, Life is not very, very nice at this level. And unfortunately, we've been born in the Western countries where our spiritual prospects were null and void without divine intervention. Unless we, without coming in contact with Krishna's pure devotee and the, uh, you know, the literatures that have been left for us uh, by such a pure devotee, our prospects were null in true spiritual life. So therefore we become a little humble. So humbleness is the natural consequence of a little steadiness, a little determination, a little seriousness, uh, a little bit of, of giving up uh, our self-motivated uh, lifestyle. Now this next stage that's being spoken of here is, is when we really start to, to understand the prospect of spiritual life. And it's called ruchi, taste. In other words, what was... I want to read this one paragraph. It's written, written so well in this, in this regard. And then we can discuss a little bit. After the heart is cleansed of the principal anarthas, anarthas being bad habits, right? So after the heart's cleansed uh, of the principal anarthas, We've given up merciless, mercilessly slaughtering lower living entities for our palate. That's that's a, a, you know that's a made an artha. We've uh, we've given up taking intoxicants, which simply send us into uh, uh, you know the lower modes of nature. 
you know, we've, we've given up gambling and we've given up speculating about spiritual life. Our, we know where our spiritual prospect is. We're not shopping anymore in the marketplace of uh, philosophical, uh, spiritual uh, conclusion. We know the conclusion is in Bhagavad Gita and we're listening to that and we're learning from it. Uh, and it's always in, 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 uh, enlivening to us. Devotees take pleasure in this discourse and uh, elicit sex. We've given up these four main principal anarthas. These are anarthas that really, uh, unless we can at least come to the stage of, of giving up these things, advancement in spiritual life is going to be really difficult for us. We have to at least get these be able to put the, these major anarthas behind us. Um, and even if we're still struggling with them, we can still, be, we, still, there's some steadiness there. Even if we can't conquer over, at least we know we, that those things need to fall away. After the heart is cleansed of the principal anarthas, and sadhana becomes undeterred. Sadhana is our spiritual practice, what we do every day whether it be reading, whether it be chanting a little bit, we, we become a little steady at that. So that's our sadhana, coming to class every week, observing major festivals like John Mastami and Vyas Puj, uh, taking Krishna Prashadam and the Association of Devotees. That's our sadhana. Develops a natural liking for Nama Sankirtan. And there's a taste. I'd rather come to class than sit home and watch the Thursday night TV shows. I'd rather come to class, I'd rather go to a festival and take Krishna Prashadam and go down to the IHOP and have, uh, you know, pancakes and whatever. <laughs> I'd rather come and chant Kirtan and go to a rock and roll concert. So these things, you know, there's some taste for spiritual life over and above material activity. That's, that's ruchi. That's a taste. We have some... And even if the taste isn't there, at least we know intellectually, if I do this, the taste will come because I see the people that are doing it regularly, they're bright-faced. They're prospect. You could see that they, they're enlivened in their spiritual life. What was previously medicine, in the beginning, spiritual life is a little bit difficult for us. We've kind of been wrapped up for a while in karma. What was previous me previously medicine now becomes food. What was previously medicine now becomes food. Undeterred, apratihata, devotion becomes unmotivated, a haituki. We don't want anything in return. Doing the service itself is reward enough in itself for us. Just engaging in devotional practice. We're not engaging in devotional practice in order to get some material benefit, in order to get elevation to heavenly planets, in order to, uh, even so far as, even to uh, counteract whatever suffering may be due me for my nefarious activities in, pri in, in my prior life, prior to devotional practice. Whatever Krishna wants, he knows what's best. Pick me up, embrace me, leave me brokenhearted, uh, absolve me of sinful reaction or let me have some pinch for my prior activity to keep me determined. Whatever you want, I will accept that. Becomes unmotivated. A haitaki. A haitaki. As well. This stage is known as ruchi, taste, in which the sadhika, sadhika means practitioner, in which the sadhika becomes attached to devotion itself unadulterated by fruit of desires or the desire for liberation. Thus, the sadhika has no interest in anything other than continuing, hearing and chanting in pure devotion. Suda bhakti. Suda. Suda means purified. Like we, we know the term suda. Um, uh, suda sattva. Sattva is the mode of goodness. Thomas, Rajas, Tama, mode of ignorance. Rajas, mode of passion. Sattva, mode of goodness. Suda sattva, purified goodness. In other words, 
not goodness with any mixture of materiality. That makes sense? Suda. Suda bhakti. Suda bhakti means no mixture, not mixed devotional service. Now, there's a lot of devotees that engage in mixed devotional service. And of course, coming to devotional service, we may also have some motive. I want to get out of this place. <laughs> I want to not have to suffer for what I knew were really bad sinful activities. Uh, I want to enjoy with Krishna, even that desire that hasn't yet become completely purified, unmotivated. Here we're talking about pure devotion, when all those things fall away. And that's a difficult stage. Motivated devotional service is certainly there in the beginning. We have some motive uh, for spiritual life. But in the, now, when we're coming to the stage of ruchi, that's falling away. Nadanam najanam nasundarim. All that's falling away. I'm not performing this to go to a heavenly planet for a beautiful wife. I don't want a lot of followers. I don't really care even about my own liberation. I'm satisfied just to serve Krishna in love no matter what my circumstance may be. This is a very, very deep, advanced level of spiritual practice that's being spoken of here in this fourth verse. The sadhikas, the practitioners, the sadhikas' prayerful attitude begins to turn from submission in pursuit of spiritual emotion to an emotional life of spiritual longing. Does that make sense to anybody? The sadhikas' prayerful attitude, nadanam najanam nasundarim, begins to turn from submission in pursuit of spiritual emotion to an emotional life of spiritual longing. In other words, there's a taste for the spiritual practice itself. Whereas prior to this, naturally, we want to enjoy spiritual pleasure. Right? We want, we want to know what spiritual pleasure is. And at this stage of Ruchi, we're tasting spiritual pleasure naturally in the course of our devotional practice. We'll discuss more of this fourth verse uh, next week, go over a little bit more deeply into these four things, which are actually what Lord Chaitanya is speaking about here is artha, dharma, karma, moksha. Artha, dharma, karma, moksha. These are the four true, you can break down the four basic propensities of someone who's come to the human form of life into these four areas. Artha, our economic development. Kama, just sense enjoyment. Hearing nice, seeing nice, smelling nice, tasting nice, feeling nice. Artha, Dharma, Dharma, religiosity. But religiosity which is motivated. Artha, Dharma, Karma, and then ultimately Moksha, liberation. So these things, nadanam, najanam, nasundarim, these correspond to those. So we can discuss that a little more deeply next week. Any questions regarding what we mentioned? Well, shall we finish Bhagavad Gita so we can begin again? <laughs> We're at the benediction stage of Bhagavad Gita. It's interesting that when the when the great sages and saints and Krishna himself give us some spiritual instruction. Once we've heard that instruction, submissively and sincerely, that hearing of the narration in and of itself qualifies us for a spiritual prize. They're just so merciful, these saints and sages and Krishna. You'll notice throughout Bhagavatam, you'll come to the end of a chapter and there'll be the benediction. Anyone who simply hears this narration will immediately be elevated in spiritual life. Anybody that remembers this narration will be benefited. 
Anyone who remembers this narration, anybody who, who repeats this narration, anybody that remembers it in the morning and the evening, you'll notice throughout Bhagavatam, benediction, every time you hear some Krishna Katha, some discussion of Krishna and Krishna's devotees, there's a benediction given just by hearing. Anytime you read Chaitanya Charitamrita, end of every single chapter, Krishna Das Kaviraj is saying, here's a benediction. Take it. Just, you've listened to this. Now I'm giving you all of my spiritual acumen. Whatever I have got in my spiritual bank account, I give freely to you. That's the mentality of the devotee. They don't need to keep a bank balance. Whatever they have in their spiritual bank account, they give away freely. That's the nature of a pure devotee. And of course, why, where did they learn this? Well, they learned it from Krishna. So here we're going to see at the end of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is going to give some benedictions. We've heard the narration of Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is going to make sure that Arjuna understands the whole thing. Or Krishna is willing to go back and start at the very beginning and repeat it all again. It's the nature of the spiritual master. If we don't understand, he'll repeat it again. He's not, it's not like a timeline. It's not like, you know, you got a, you got a semester to learn this material. And if you haven't learned it, out too bad, you fail the course. That's not the nature of spirit, nature of spiritual life. So this teacher, he'll start at the beginning and go through the whole thing again. That's the nature of Krishna and his devotee when it comes to giving us spiritual knowledge. So we left off last week and we were discussing uh, the fact that there are certain people that aren't even qualified to hear the instruction of Bhagavad Gita. Right? Text 67. This confidential knowledge may never be explained to those who are not austere or devoted or engaged in devotional service, nor to one who is envious of me. So let's move forward. I guess we should chant a verse. How about 71? Shradavan anusuyaschas shrinuyadapi yodara sopi mukta subhaulokhan and one who listens with faith and without envy becomes free from sinful reactions and attains to the auspicious planets where the pious dwell. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master is Open my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So we're going to go, go ahead, but progressively, we're going to drop back to 68. We ended last week. Lord Krishna said, let's not be explaining this most confidential knowledge, this most confidential. And we went through the levels of confidential knowledge last week. Confidential, more confidential, most confidential. So now, moving forward, Krishna's going to say, well, these are the people that I want to have this knowledge of Bhagavad Gita. For one who explains the supreme secret to the devotees, pure devotional service is guaranteed. And at the end, he will come back to me. Now that's a benediction. Just explaining Bhagavad Gita, distributing this knowledge. It's not... A difficult thing to to do that. It's not that you have to sit in this seat and give the class. Explaining Bhagavad Gita is something that we can do in our everyday life. We go a little bit more in depth here in Bhagavad Gita. And we'll continue. It doesn't matter. Through the rest of our life, we'll continue to study Bhagavad Gita week in and week out. And we'll get newer and fresher knowledge. And we will advance spiritually from that knowledge. Bhagavad Gita is never going to become boring to us. So giving Bhagavad Gita and explaining it to others, we can do that in many ways. 
course, the most beneficial way for, for us right now, the easy way, when perhaps we don't have sufficient experience to explain everything completely, we can give the text of Bhagavad Gita. You have some interest in spiritual life? I found a book that really helped me. This book has it all, let me tell you. And you give them one of Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita as it is. You can take as many off the shelf here as you want to give away and give them away. If you can't ask for a donation, because that's even more beneficial. We don't need the money. Krishna's unlimitedly wealthy. We don't, we're not here to make money selling Bhagavad Gita's. But, did you ever notice that generally when you give somebody something for free, they really don't see as much value in it as when they give you something in return. Having somebody give you a donation is better for them because then they'll be, they'll be more appreciative of what they've got. So that's why we generally ask for a donation. We don't demand a donation, though. This benediction is not limited just to the one who, who's giving class every week. It's available to everyone here. And give Bhagavad Gita. Give them a copy. You want to know about spiritual life? This book has helped me immensely. I don't think you'll find a better book if you really want true spiritual life than this book. And all the books, even the small books, maybe people aren't ready for Bhagavad Gita. Still, the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita saturates all of these books. So as I said last week, this needs to be one of our programs. It's kind of what we do, the payback we give to the spiritual master. Uh, what was that movie that was out a couple years, two years? It's Pay It Forward. It's our pay it forward. Hand out these books. Take them off the shelves. Put them in your bags in the evening every week. Take them out and try to hand them. Uh, and if it's not a big book, then give them a small book. Give them some book. Any book. And if you want to play like uh, the... Uh, who do we have come to our door once a month? Yeah. If you feel real bold, you can play their game. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. About just a quick thing about asking for donations, because then if you if they give donation and then you use that money to buy more books, then you're actually engaging them in distributing books as well, and then they get all of that extra credit. <laughs> for one who explains this supreme secret to the devotees, pure devotional service is guaranteed, and at the end you will come back to me. Now, as I said, we're going to go through some benedictions here. Next benediction. Well, Krishna continues on that same line. So the 69th verse is a continuation from the 68th. There is no servant in this world more dear to me than he, nor will there ever be one more dear. Not only is Krishna going to give us pure devotional service by distributing Bhagavad Gita, the knowledge of Bhagavad Gita, we're going to become very dear to Krishna. And what do we know of the people that are dear to Krishna? What is their level of enjoyment? What is their level of spiritual exchange with Krishna? It's unfathomable. We can't even imagine the benefit of Krishna taking an interest in us. Here Krishna is saying, if you give this knowledge to others, I'll not only take an interest, I'll take an interest and make you my devotee. And I'll not only make you my devotee, you will become my dear devotee. Now, next level of participant in this Krishna Katha of Bhagavad Gita. Katha, discourse. So the next level is what is the verse. And I declare that he who studies this sacred conversation of ours 
worships me by his intelligence. Maybe someone's not yet at the level of giving up, as Krishna is requested here in the 18th chapter, abandon all variety of religion and just surrender unto me. Maybe someone's not quite there. Earlier in Bhagavad Gita, didn't Krishna talk about the fact, well, if you can't do this, do this, and if you can't do that, do this. So there are people who are at different levels of spirituality. Krishna certainly knows that. So if you're at the, not at the stage of distributing this knowledge yet, that's fine. Just hear Bhagavad Gita. If you hear Bhagavad Gita, I'm going to accept that as worship of my very self. You're worshiping me with your intelligence. Now what's the benefit of worshiping Krishna? When baby Krishna, <laughs> he was in his childhood pastime, there was one fruit vendor that was coming around and, and selling fruit. The fruit vendor, Krishna saw, oh, there's some fruit, I'd like to get some fruit for the household. But Krishna was just a little baby, so he, he was kind of, you know, like every other baby, couldn't carry a lot. But he got a few grains of rice and tried to go and do some bartering, and by the time he reached the fruit vendor, there was hardly anything in his palm. But he still gave, and the fruit vendor gave him fruit, even though the exchange was not equal. To turn around and look back in her fruit basket and, re and see that all of her fruits had turned into the most valuable gemstones. A basket full of gemstones. That's Krishna's, that's how Krishna exchanges worship. Now in this material plane, people worship all kinds of other living entities uh, for benefit. Now, in our society here, who do we worship? We worship our employer generally. You go, you work, you worship, what do you want done? What can I do for you today? Type this letter, sell this car. What do we do? We do all kinds of things for our employers. And in that way, we give them our hard-earned time and energy. And uh, basically, we worship them. And what do we get? We get a little bit of money at the end of the week. What's left over after the government's stolen most of it and used it in their, for their programs. But that's a kind of worship, is it not? We worship our, you know, our families for some, some exchange, loving exchange. The Vedas also give us information of how we can worship the devas, the people that supply the air and the, and the sunlight and the rainfall and make the, uh, the earth plentiful. And make all the the uh, fruits succulent. So these demigods, we can worship the demigods and we get some temporary result. So in this world, there's there's worship there. Or we, can, we may want to go and maybe according to our religious tradition, we'll uh, worship uh, you know, a devotee of Krishna like Lord Jesus Christ. Please, you take my sins this week. I'll be back next week with some more for you. <laughs> Not a very good type of worship, but that goes on too. Worship of Krishna, though, is very special. What's special about worship of Krishna is Krishna fulfills our material desire no matter what it is, but he always fulfills our material desire in such a way that we won't desire more things material that won't be beneficial to us. Understand that? It's like the way you deal with your child. They may want to. They may come in and they made a mud pie and they want to eat it. <laughs> well, generally the mother will say, "That's fine. Let's just set that aside." And you give the child a sweetmeat or a muffin or something else. So Krishna's like that with us. We're so foolish that we think we can have some pleasure on this material plane. We want to have this, that, and another thing, and. Uh, it's really not good for us. It turns out to be poisonous to us. It increases our, our involvement in the material world. It increases our lust. It increases our hankering for material things. And it doesn't matter how much I hanker material things, even when I get them, I'm never quite satisfied. I need more and more and more. Worship of Krishna is different. 
Worship of Krishna means when we worship Krishna, he satisfies that desire, but in such a way that we don't want anymore. Now, in the verse we chanted tonight, and one who listens with faith and without envy becomes free from sinful reactions and attains to the auspicious planets where the pious dwell. Those that are neutral, they really have no spiritual aspiration, but they don't have an animosity towards the Supreme Lord. They're like neutral. They're along for the ride. They hear from a Krishna's devotee, Bhagavad Gita. They hear this narration. They may come to a class. We see here people come. They'll come to one class. That's fine. That's it. I've heard enough of that. It's a little too deep for me. I don't want to get into that. That's fine. Even that kind of hearing, if there's no envy, no animosity towards Krishna, they understand these people are talking about God. That's good. I have no problem with God. Kind of deep for me. Maybe I'm not ready for it yet. Even those people, benediction. And one who listens with faith, wow, but what a benediction. That's the nature of pure devotional service. Of hearing from Krishna's pure devotees in the assembly of Krishna's pure devotees to come into that assembly just to come into that assembly and hear without envy equal to an made a sacrifice. No more sinful activities. They basically wipe the slate clean, Krishna's saying here. Isn't he? That's pretty pretty heavy benediction just for going for a going and, and hearing about Krishna's Bhagavad, you know, philosophy of Bhagavad Gita without an envious mentality. What's Asvameda? Horse? Horse sacrifice. We won't go into that, but uh, there are great sages that can pull it off without hurting the horse. So we're not talking about that kind of sacrifice that you made, that we're accustomed to hearing of. And not only do they blow off all their sinful activities just by being non-envious and hearing this narration of Bhagavad Gita, they have eleva elevation here to the highest material planet, the pole star, the abode of Dhruva Maharaj. Anybody remember what Dhruva did? Oh, I just read about Dhruva. You can give us a short, very short recap. Uh, well, it was last week. <laughs> <laughs> I've moved on from there. <laughs> Dhruva Maharaj was uh, desirous of having the throne of his father. He'd been slighted by his stepbrother. He wanted that position. In fact, he didn't want that position. He wanted one. He wanted even more than what his father had. So he was only five years old. His mother said, well, I've heard if you go to the forest, God's there. And if you pray to God, he gives you whatever you want. Long and the short of it, he went to the forest. Uh, his spiritual master came, Narada Muni, and said, you know, you're really a little young for this. Uh, better you go home and forget this right now. And Dhruva's like, no way. <laughs> I want this kingdom. I want it now. And please tell me what I can do. And Narada, being so kind, said, okay, let me give you a mantra. Gave him a mantra. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. And uh, Dhruva did some very, very severe and serious austerities. We won't go into those right now, but let's just say he really, he was determined. He was so determined that the Lord personally came. And immediately when Dhruva Maharaj saw Krishna, Lord Vishnu, in his form as Lord Vishnu, immediately he realized, wow, this is the result of the instruction that my spiritual master gave me. I'm seeing this personality, the Supreme Lord. 
I was looking for broken pieces of glass, a kingdom. Look at the gem that has come from my devotional practice. And when he was blessed by Krishna, he was so young he didn't have spiritual adhikari, qualification. He didn't have the qualification to, to give nice prayers to God. He was, he was overwhelmed for one thing, and he was young and inexperienced in his devotional practice. Krishna actually touched him with his conch shell, and immediately all the knowledge, he was filled, his heart was filled with all the knowledge of the Vedas. And he could render prayers to Krishna according to Vedic conclusion. Quite amazing. And when he prayed, he said, wow, I'm such a fool. I don't want the kingdom. I don't want that. Please, Give me your pure devotional service. That's all I want. Krishna said, okay, no problem. But since you did in the beginning want something, let me give you a position within this material universe that's higher than anybody else. And Prabhupada speaks of that in the, in the purport we read tonight. Dhruva, the pole star. Very, very elevated planetary system. Very opulent. Moving right along. So we've got some benedictions. Benedictions for the person that speaks. Benedictions for the person that hears. Benediction for the person that hears, not with any real interest, but he's not envious. And of course, the cautionary from the end of last week, the cautionary, we don't really discuss this with people, which people who are envious of Krishna, who, who have no interest in spiritual life. They'll simply become more envious. They can't understand that God's great. They can't see beyond their own greatness due to their illusion in material life. So to see that there's another living entity, a spiritual entity who's greater than them, they have a hard time even conceiving of that. So Krishna goes on. O son of Prita, O conqueror of wealth, have you heard this with an attentive mind? And are, you in, and are your ignorance and illusion now dispelled? Always the question of the spiritual master to the disciple. Are you paying attention to what I'm hearing, what I'm saying here? Do you understand the knowledge? Do you understand? Any questions? Every week we say, any questions? You all with me here? So, Krishna's saying, Arjuna, you're with me here? Any problem? Arjuna said, My dear Krishna, infallible one, my illusion is now gone. I have regained my memory by your mercy. I am now firm and free from doubt and I'm prepared to act according to your instructions. At this point, we should mention that we were talking about this earlier in the week also. And uh, just to mention it again, because you are in a community of devotees now and uh, we're in the wake of a great Mahabhagavat, Prabhupada, uh, very powerful Vaishnava, one that could inundate the whole planet with, with spiritual potency, give us such a great contribution by spreading Lord Chaitanya's movement to the Western world and throughout the whole world in the English-speaking language. Not only the English-speaking language, if you go to the BBT website, you'll see that Prabhupada's books have been translated into, I, I just, wow, a lot of languages. Practically, I mean, all the major languages and tons of the other smaller languages. So Prabhupada's influence is... is beyond comprehension. It's just, a, and, and it's his influence is the seeds of his influence are just now beginning to manifest. Just now beginning. It, it, this will, this movement in the wake of his influence in the Western world under the direction of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati will just will just become more and more prevalent in the world. Along that line, 
there's always some difficulties when a great acharya of such a magnitude disappears from our presence. In other words, he physically departs. And sometimes deviant philosophies arise. Such a deviant philosophy is there, and I'm sure you'll come across it. You're now practicing devotees. You'll come across this philosophy. It's commonly referred to as the Ritvik philosophy. Ritvik means that there's only Prabhupada as a spiritual master. Everybody can take shelter of Prabhupada, and that's all you need. You don't need to have your personal guru to instruct you. Prabhupada is sufficient to instruct you. So we were discussing this earlier in the week. We look at Bhagavad Gita, and we look at the instruction of Bhagavad Gita and the situation the time, place, and circumstance of Arjuna. Alright? Arjuna's there, and Arjuna was not, he wasn't a, a fool. This is a well-educated man. At the beginning of Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna gave very, very religious, according to scripture, arguments. I don't want to kill my teacher. That's, that's in the scriptures. I don't want to create uh, Varda Samskara by killing the husbands of all these nice wives. They're going to be exploited. That's what happens after war. Anytime there's a war, in the wake of war, the women are exploited. I don't want to kill my cousins. Uh, so he had so many arguments that he gave to Krishna, which were 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 religious arguments they were properly sounded in fact he was so renounced he said i'm willing even to give up my varna my position in varnashram and simply become a mendicant simply go to the woods now here in in this purport in reading Prabhupada's purport here to this verse and also reading the other other uh, purports vishwanath chakravarti baladev vidyavushan the point is made that Arjuna was convinced that I just need to surrender to Krishna. That's all I need to do. Whatever he wants, I do. And Krishna has an, an intent here. Krishna wants to decrease the population, the, over, the burden on the earth. So that's, that's what Krishna's intent is in this battle. And he wants to get good leadership in place for the uh, human society. If we were just to read the religious books, Arjuna's arguments would be in direct opposition to what Krishna wanted. And his arguments were spiritually sound. Understand? Were they not? But Krishna wanted something different, didn't he? He didn't care about the religiously sound arguments Arjuna gave. He wanted something else. He wanted to decrease the burden of the earth. Similarly, where the Ritviks have it wrong, and you will come across a Ritvik sooner or later, just know where they have it wrong is they need to be, they do not see the significance of the instruction coming from Krishna, through the spiritual master, according to our time, place, and circumstance. We can pick up the religious books. We can read what the great sages have said of yore. We can take their instructions and we can benefit from them. But, it would, what it, but when it comes to our personal spiritual life, according to our place, our time, and situation, our circumstance. We need personal direction so that we can advance in spiritual life. And that's all individual. It's, it's based on our relationship with our spiritual master. We can take instruction from Bhaktivedanta Swami and we will be taking this instruction throughout our life. But when it comes to doing our practical devotional activity and surrendering to Krishna, that surrender is done through the guru. 
I can't surrender to the book. The spiritual master says, get married? He can see, I need to get married. He knows what's best. Renounce marriage. There's some give and take with the spiritual master. You'll see, I've given my, my disciple this instruction and it's difficult for them. It needs to be modified. And he modifies it. He knows our heart. He knows our sincerity. He knows our capabilities. He's working with us so that we can advance in spiritual life. Steer, steer clear of these misconceived philosophies and you'll be firmly situated in spiritual advancement. Become absorbed in these misconceptions if they seem to, if you have, if your mind is taking you there, please take shelter of devotees who know the proper conclusion, who you've taken instruction from and you have faith in. They will help rectify these misconceptions so that they do not adversely affect your spiritual progress. Sanjaya, text 74. Thus I have heard the conversation of two great souls, Krishna and Arjuna. And so wonderful is that message that my hair is standing on end. By the mercy of Vyas, I have heard these most confidential talks directly from the master of all mysticism, Krishna, who was speaking personally to Arjuna. O king, as I repeatedly recall this wondrous and holy dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna, I take pleasure being thrilled at every moment. Ruchi, taste, taste for spiritual life. Being thrilled at every moment. That's what we're talking about. Get past the anarthas. Get past those impediments to our, to our sadhana, our spiritual progress. Progress. Get past them. And we'll be thrilled at every moment when we read Bhagavad Gita. Now it's kind of something like, like trying to uh, tune in a radio station. Of course, now we don't do that anymore. Everybody has their personal music playing device. Uh, so tuning is not there. Used to there was tuning where you had to turn the dial. Similarly, sometimes, and there's static sometimes going from station to station, from song to song. In our spiritual practice now, there may be some static from time to time. Sometimes we're chanting and there's no static, and it's like, wow, this is good. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. I'm hearing. The mind's not going a hundred different places. I'm reading Bhagavad Gita, and my mind isn't thinking about cooking dinner, or taking care of this, or making that sale, or whatever. I'm getting some taste. Ruchi, become steady in your practice and the static diminishes to nil. And then, like Sanjaya, what is he? He's thrilled at every moment just remembering this dialogue. O King, as I remember the wonderful form of Lord Krishna, I am struck with wonder more and more, and I rejoice again and again. Whoever was there for John Mostomy, we were talking about that. Yes. Vai Bhava. Vai Bhava. That beginning stage of ecstasy which comes from remembering Krishna and his various qualities. 64 transcendental qualities. Those things are what? They're stimulants to our vibhava, to our ecstatic emotional appreciation of Krishna. Wherever there is Krishna, the master of all mystics, and wherever there is Arjuna, the supreme archer, there will also certainly be opulence, victory, extraordinary power, and morality. That is my opinion. Of course, with that statement, Dhritarashtra's heart was broken because 
this whole dialogue started with Dhritarashtra asking Sanjaya, looking good for my, my boys, right? We're going to be winning this battle. We got more powerful soldiers. Look, we could definitely win, right? Sanjaya, Dhritarashtra was physically blind. He was all bl also blind to spiritual reality, unfortunately. But he was asking and Sanjaya, who, who wasn't, wasn't physically blind, not only was he not physically blind, like his master, Dhritarashtra, but he was, um, Sanjaya also had the additional benediction from his spiritual master. What were we talking about? Benedictions. We get benedictions from hearing Bhagavad Gita. We get benedictions from hearing Bhagavatam, from narrating and hearing different Krishna Katha, stories of Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita. Similarly, when we please our spiritual master, we get benedictions. Sanjaya received a benediction from his spiritual master, Vyasudeva. His spiritual master gave him the benediction of transcendental hearing and transcendental vision. He had a spiritual TV. And even though he was sitting in the palace with Dhritarashtra, he could see spiritually, transcendentally, what was happening on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. So, back to the beginning, Dhritarashtra is asking Sanjaya, please tell me, What's the prospect for my boys out there in the battlefield? And he was feeling all optimistic. Unfortunately, at the end of Bhagavad Gita, his optimism is smashed. So next week we'll go back and see where his optimism started. <laughs> Any questions, comments, additions? None? We're all convinced. 